You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. It has from the very beginning. Don't give it any help. It knows too much already. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, October 30th. 2017, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts, Heather Bishop. Hey guys, what's up? I'm glad to be here today. Jenna Pace. Hi, who's ready to talk about an episode? And, brand new to the podcast, Vinny Hatcher. Hey guys, ready to get my once on, and I am excited as heck to be here. Awesome, and we'd also like to wish all of our listeners a very happy Halloween. Have a spooktacular Halloween. (laughs) Thank you, at least somebody's feeling festive. I appreciate it. (laughs) Alright, let's jump into our recap of Season 7, Episode 4, which was titled Beauty, and aired October 27th, 2017, here's the official synopsis of the episode. It's Halloween in Hyperion Heights, and Victoria forces Ivy to take Lucy trick-or-treating. Meanwhile, Tilly appears to be waking up from the curse and is intent on leading Weaver to the truth, but not if Victoria can help it. In a flashback, Rumpel and Belle seek the answer to a prophecy that could cement their happy ending. Alright, let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 4. Once Upon a Time was steady with 2.5 million total viewers and a .5 in the demo. Steady is good, listeners. So we're... We're in a good direction for now. All right, so I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode, and let's start off with the newbie, Vinny. Yeah, so overall, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I felt some areas were a little bit rushed, uh, which I'll touch on later, but I think it was a really shining episode for some characters who before now had been kind of like teased to us and we didn't get to interact with that much. Uh, And I really, really enjoyed uh, Belle's return. I thought that was really heartfelt and really genuine, and I'm really interested to see where the journey goes from here. All right, Heather, what about you? 
this has easily been my favorite episode of the season so far. It was... They made me laugh. They made me cry. They made me bawl my eyes out. It was it was fantastic. I, I really really liked this episode. Jenna Pace. Um, I thought it was a really fantastic episode. It hit all the emotions in just the right places. We got a nice amount of character development. We got the story moving a little bit more, and I just had a really fun time. Awesome. And I guess it's four for four. I thought it was a really strong episode. I love when my favorite shows do Halloween episodes. And I don't think Once has ever really done a Halloween episode. I'm trying to remember back. And I don't think it has. Anybody can correct me if I'm wrong. I know that they build the um, Frankenstein episode many seasons ago as sort of like a Halloween episode because it aired around Halloween time. But besides that, I don't think Once has done Halloween, right? No, I don't really think they ever did one focusing specifically on the holiday. Okay, so I love it when my shows do Halloween. And, I mean, it was a fun episode when it came to the Halloween stuff. And then the flashbacks were really emotional. I can't believe I'm saying this. And, um, listeners, if you have followed the podcast throughout the five seasons that we have been doing this, you'll be surprised as well. But I I really enjoyed the Rumple storyline. Um, Rumple, I'm starting to like Rumple, and maybe it's because it seems it appears as if this final redemption that we had in the uh, sixth season finale is sort of sticking. So I'm actually really enjoying the character, and um, yeah. So uh, kudos to the writers because I felt they did a decent job wrapping things up with that storyline at least i think so but we'll break it down in just a moment so uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of once upon a time here's our announcer with a few special announcements binge listen to your favorite poppy chula radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. Poppychularadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio and help us with our campaign. 
Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. A quick shout-out to the opening title card sequence, which uh, basically featured uh, a bunch of Halloween decorations in in the forest, which uh, was uh, really neat to see. So, as we typically do, as we always do, we're going to start off in the past, and we open up in Storybrook, boom, 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 and it is a year after the final battle, and Gold and Bell are preparing for Gideon's first birthday, and everyone's coming. We got shout-outs to all of our favorite Storybrookians, and uh, Gold gifts Bell a uh, book to. Um, basically memorialize all of the travels, all of the adventures that they will be going on because Gold is keeping his promise to Belle that uh, he will he will show her the world and that kind of stuff. No one else wants to sing along? <laughs> Fine. Cue music. Yes. So, and then we zip to several years later and... Um, as they're going through one of their adventures, they're crossing this bridge, and apparently the bridge has magical properties in the waters below, and it will grant a person uh, a, a wish, and, and Rumpel's wish is to be freed of uh, the Dark One curse, his immortality, and, and the darkness. So basically anything dealing with the Dark One, and so he grabs... The dark one dagger and he tosses it into the river but it returns to him and so you know obviously they have to figure out a different way to remove the dark one ness so more years pass on and gideon is now prepared to go to college and uh rumple and bell once again discuss the dagger and uh bell ends up um translating a, a like fairy prophecy that describes uh, this area that uh, where the, where the sun um you know will set and you know once the dark one finds love then uh, you know a path will open up so that uh, the dark one can be freed of the curse basically and rumple recognizes where this is it's a place called the edge of realms and so rumple and bell end up moving to the edge of realms and uh, they decide to uh, basically set up a house there and rumple is ready to use his magic to do it but bell's like no you know we have all the time you know i want us to do it and so they build a home we see them living there there's a beautiful montage of uh, rumple and bell's life together in this cottage that they build at the edge of realms we also see gideon checking in on them every once in a while and uh then we see one day Belle, you know, opening the drapes and she collapses and Rumpel, you know, tries to help her and, and he wants to use the dagger to bring her back to life or to cure what is ailing her. But Belle's like, no, it, it's her time. And she explains that 
the sun setting at the edge of realms isn't the actual sun setting it, it, it's bell dying and uh, she knew that if rumple knew this that uh, rumple would spend the rest of their lives together trying to figure out a different way but uh, bell wanted to enjoy her life with rumple and so she basically tells him that once the the curse is lifted she will they will be able to reunite together and um she asks him to promise her you know to to you know basically have faith that this curse will be lifted and so uh, she passes away and um Rumpleberry's bell in the rose garden and uh, Gideon arrives and, and he's willing to take the dark one dagger for himself you know to um, take the curse from him but Rumple isn't willing to do that because of the whole situation with uh, Balefire you know he, he's not going to uh, pass the darkness on to his other son and so uh, especially since he lost one of his sons to the darkness and so he reveals that apparently there's this person called the Guardian who uh, can acquire the darkness. It, it's this person who um, is capable of guarding the darkness. I guess that's why they're called the Guardian. And so Rumple decides to go on a quest to find the Guardian. And uh, later on, we see Rumple in the magical forest and he meets Alice around the time that Henry is riding his motorcycle and it's around the time of I guess the ball where Henry ends up um, crashing into Ella. So let's break this all down. Let's talk about the flashback and let's start off let me start off by asking you all the question. Wasn't it awesome to see Storybrooke again? Jenna? Oh my god, it was so nice to see Storybrooke again. Um, I was expecting yeah, more, but sorry, um, it's okay. Colors, seeing grannies again, just seeing that patio again. It brings back a lot of memories. Sorry, I didn't know how much you wanted me to elaborate, but I can go on. Oh, that was good. Uh, Heather, what about you? Wasn't it nice to see Storybrooke? I loved it. I I was as soon as they pulled into that, I was like, okay, it's going to be a good episode starting off from here. Because as much as I'm interested in Hyperion Heights and everything that's happening, Storybrooke is where it started. It's just nice to get back to that. Yeah, I thought it was awesome as well. Uh, Vinny, what about you? Did you get uh, some feels because of Storybrooke? Oh, so I have this term that I use when something just makes me verklempt, and I call it clutching my pearls. It totally did. Like, my hand flew to my chest, and I was like, oh, it's like looking at home, you know, because Hyperion Heights is new and awesome. It's almost like going on the journey with Henry, but seeing home again makes you homesick. It was just so nice to see the familiar settings and have it woven in with the current story. I definitely may have gotten a little bit teary. Aw, we'll, we'll pass you a tissue. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, you know, it was very brief, but it was just enough. And it was nice to see uh, the storyline continue in a way that uh, was very, um, it was, it fit very well with what happened at the end of uh, season six in that 
Rumpel was sort of like welcomed into you know the family with open arms and it seemed like everything was still going in a positive direction I even love the little shout out that they mentioned you know something like oh you know we haven't really had any problems or anything no magical beings have invaded Storybrooke within the past year and that whole thing which I thought was really neat and of course the shout outs to other characters that we haven't seen or that we won't get the chance to be seeing that often was uh, really nice as well. Now, focusing on, um, I guess, the Rumple and Bell storyline, because I read online a, a bunch of um, comments, especially after like one of the previews was released. They were like, this isn't Rumple. I can't believe he's willing to give up the Dark One curse. Were any of you surprised that Rumple was interested in ridding himself of the Dark One curse? Heather? I, or, or Vinny, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I totally was, actually. Um, it, it just, for Rumple, I think one of, it's not because I didn't like it, but I think one of the things that I liked most about his character was how flawed he was within his humanity. He had all this power and immortality, and he had the desire to be better, but he always gave in to his fear. It, it was interesting because it almost felt wrapped up a little bit too neatly, if that makes sense, for the change of his character. Okay. See, I'm the complete opposite. See, I hated that about the character. That was the flaw that really annoyed me because everyone else, all of the uh, villains, reformed villains, they got their own redemption storyline. And, you know, sometimes it would stick, sometimes it wouldn't. Like, Regina had a trip, you know, to get to the point to where she is now. And also Zelina. And, and I mean hook i mean they all had sort of like a trip you know they would seem to achieve redemption but then they would mess it up and then, and then finally they would achieve redemption it, it seemed as if rumple got several chances and he would always screw it up so i was actually glad that he sort of learned uh, like the error like the errors of his ways what am i trying to say the error the error in his ways whatever the hell that um the phrase is and uh i was glad that he was ready to give it up because for me at least it meant that his character development stuck and it, it wasn't sort of like a flash in the pan that we saw um you know rumple make the quote-unquote right decision at the end of season six you know this character development is finally sticking and he finally has come to accept that uh, he doesn't need the dagger anymore so i kind of liked it uh jenna or well actually i was gonna go with heather first so heather what about you I, I actually really, really liked it. And I completely agree with you, Jeffrey. Um, I feel like finally we've kind of gone back to where we were with Rumpel at middle of season three. You know, it's he's made a decision and he's sticking to it finally. And it shows that he has grown as a character, which he has in the past, but he always kind of flip flops and goes back. And I'm, I'm happy because I don't have to explain to people why Rumpelstiltskin is my favorite and why I'm behind him in an episode anymore because it actually makes sense now. It's, it's beautiful. I liked it. I really, really did. I mean, I was a little concerned about him, his decision that, oh, I'm just going to throw the dagger into the water and take a wish. That's not going to have any consequences. Like, Rumpel, I think you've had enough magic. You should probably know this by now. But... I really did like it. 
the, the idea that he would give finally be able to give it up for Belle, for Gideon, for the life that they have together. It was beautiful. I loved it. I was a mess this entire episode. Aw. Some tissues for you too, Heather. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Jenna, where do you stand? Are you more on Vinny's side, or are you over here with the cool kids, myself and Heather? I'm I'm just teasing Vinny. Hey! (laughs) I'm with Vinny, actually. Oh. Oh. I I love it. And the new alliance is forming as we speak. (laughs) Okay, if I may explain. I always really liked... um, I'm with Vinny. I always liked how Rumpel was very very much this ambiguous character. His... His cowardice was shown through that through the problems of his development because it was really hard for him. And the one time he was brave in season three, he got screwed over. So he kind of took that lesson to heart. And that's why he made all those bad decisions in season four. And they're correctly framed as not the right decisions. But you sh- but you kind of it makes sense when you understand this character. So I like that for me in the end of season six, I didn't really feel like the like the circumstances behind his ultimate redemption were 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 believable enough for that for that redemption but i think seeing it in the seeing it in the years past made me believe it in retrospect because you see just how willing he is to put his self-interest to the side and kind of act more on his bravery so while i don't necessarily think these circumstances back in season six were all that supportive of this final redemption being one that stuck, or really, I was buying it until the Black Fairy episode, the end of the Black Fairy episode, where he turns on everybody, and just his behavior in the finale and the musical episode, I didn't feel like supported it. But I really, but I think season seven really helped me to make that more believable. I, I do believe that he would want to. I believe that he would want to give up the dagger because he very he reacts kind of to how. Like, well, like a human reacts, he reacts to the circumstances of his world. The past few years have been good, the best in his life. So he doesn't, and he realizes it's because I haven't used that dagger. So why cling to it anymore? So, yeah, I think this was, a, I think this was a great decision. And I think that it's a, that it's a smart turn for Rumpel. Awesome. Very good points, all of you. So let's talk about Gideon. We didn't get a lot of Gideon in the episode, but we basically did get the chance to at least see Gideon grow up in front of our eyes, as opposed to last time when he was a full-fledged adult the next time that we saw him. So we saw Gideon grow up. Uh, Was it uh, nice to see Gideon? Was everyone happy to see Gideon, Jenna? Oh yeah, I was really happy to see Gideon, and I loved seeing like how much he took from his mother, and just that direction, and seeing him spend time with his family, and just being happy. You know that even after his parents go off and do their thing, he's going to have a happy, promising future, because he got the childhood that he really deserved. That is true. Yeah, and he loves his books. Heather, what about you? Gideon. The Gideon of it all. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if I was going to pick something to criticize about this episode, that would probably be um, Gideon's storyline. It was just, it was very, very rushed, which I really enjoyed. I really, I, I did enjoy it, but I didn't enjoy it at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that we got to see him having this really nice childhood and having the parents he really should have had. 
and growing up within that. But also, granted, it wasn't as rushed as his last move from baby to adulthood. But it would have been nice to see maybe a few more scenes with Gideon in them as a child. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn on that. I did really enjoy it, but I also wish there was more. Maybe that's what I'm, I'm lost on. Okay, I get that. Uh, I mean, unfortunately for those that were looking forward to more Gideon, I mean, it was a Rumbell-centric flashback, mm-hmm. so it was more so focused on their love versus, you know, really exploring the fi- the family dynamic. I think in the little bits and pieces that we saw, we got a little bit of a feel for what the family was like uh, throughout the years, but uh, unfortunately, probably due to time constraints, you know, we didn't really get a- the chance to, like, explore what Gideon was like growing up, although we got a little bit of a taste of it. Uh, Vinny, what about you? What did you think of Gideon? So... I definitely have to agree that I think it would have been nice to have more scenes with Gideon, but on the flip side of that, if we hearken back to season six, one of the things that really struck me about Gideon's character in that season was that you could almost physically sense the weight of all the years of imprisonment and torture and horror that he endured. The the actor did such a phenomenal job in season six of presenting this tortured and hurt character. On the flip side of that, in season six, he didn't get as much screen time, but one scene particularly struck me, which is when he carried in the giant pile of books when he told them that he got into college. His mannerisms, the way that he carried himself, the way that his his just his attitude, you could see that this was the same person, but a person who had the childhood that he should have. So I have to give mad props to Gals Matthew for actually portraying such a polar opposite of the character he presented in season six and demonstrating that journey to us in those small ways since he did have such a short amount of screen time. I thought it really spoke to the actor's capability and it also like was pointed out, it demonstrated that this was a person who had a loving home, who wasn't kidnapped and tortured by his evil grandmother, uh, you know, who actually really loved his parents, didn't have that many cares, and was really looking forward to a bright future. So I would have loved to see more, but I definitely enjoyed what I did get to see. See, this is why Vinny joined the podcast, because that was fantastic, and I completely agree. You could tell that this Gideon was a happy child. He had a happy childhood. He had a loving childhood. And you can immediately tell that, uh, you know, just by his demeanor, his body language, the, the excitement in his spirit. And that was really nice to see. You could tell that uh, Belle and Rumpel, like, really loved and nurtured Gideon. It was nice. So... The Edge of Realms. What did you all think the prophecy, or not, well, yeah, I guess it was a prophecy, the fairy prophecy, um, what do you think that meant? At the time when you were watching the episode, the very first time, and you heard exactly what Belle said, what did you think it meant? Did you think it meant what it ended up meaning, like, or did you think it was a much more, like, literal interpretation or did you have your own interpretation of it like what did you think of the prophecy heather i mean i was i was expecting there to be more to it than just oh the sun has to set and i was expecting there to be a twist i did not expect him to go full up on us 
and bring out my emotions. But I, I, I was expecting something more, just not that. They threw me a loop. Okay, what about you, Vinny? So I, I didn't expect an actual place. Uh, I, this is like in the split seconds before Rumpel says, I know where that was. When I heard the prophecy, all I could think of was this is a metaphor for something. There, there is something that has to happen. Something has to be done. They have to go on some kind of journey and do some kind of sojourn and, you know, something. So I guess my initial reaction was kind of close to what actually happened. I didn't actually picture it being a real place. And when Rumpel said he knew where it was, I was actually kind of disappointed because it seems like being the dark one as long as he would was he would have known about something like this because he probably looked through all these prophecies previously so i was a little bit disappointed until it was all said and done and then i felt a lot better about it okay see i have uh, something to say about exactly what you just said but later on in the episode uh, <laughs> which we will get to because i'm like why did you never mention this so anyway Wait. Yeah, we'll get into it, and I feel like you know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, Jenna, what about you? The prophecy, what did you think of it when you initially heard about it? Um, Honestly, I didn't really think much of the prophecy. I kind of played it straight. I mean, I figured, there, of course, there's probably going to be a big twist with the prophecy, but for now, it was just kind of like, let's see where things go. Because, like, immediately after she says the prophecy, Rumpel's like, okay, I know where that is. So I was just kind of like, I guess I just didn't pay much mind to it, because I knew it was going to be, like, explained and detailed a little bit later. Sorry, I wish I could be more analytical on this one. No, you and I are up the same creek, because I'll be honest, I didn't really go into that much of a, like, breakdown in my mind of, like, what it could be about. I just sort of took it literally in the beginning, you know, once she mentioned um, sort of, like, the sunset, and then when Rumpel explained that time worked differently there and this out of the other so i was like well maybe it's an actual sunset in a sense like i, I really I, I guess in my mind i wasn't really trying to break it down because i sort of felt like they would end up explaining it as well so we get to the edge of realms and we have this beautiful montage of bell and rumple empty nesters building a house together, decorating the house, uh, you know, uh, living life together, a peaceful, blissful, happy, romantical life. Uh, Vinny, what did you think of the montage? Oh, God. I, it was literally, I, I thought was the moment where I started, like, the tear kind of started coming out because... We've been on a journey with these characters since season one, and especially this couple. They have gone through so much, so much that he's done, so much that she's been through, the adventures, the loss. It was something that I probably would have preferred to see at the very end of the series. Not that I ever want it to end, but that's what it felt like, and that was my initial reaction. was like, this seems more fitting for the end of the series, but... Given the circumstances of the actress not coming back full time and, you know, them needing to provide a segue into where Rumpel is in Hyperion Heights, it fit perfectly. And literally, I wanted their house. It was so adorable. And they had endless summer days. They were literally like the mom and pop. You know, he was reading, she was reading, sharing. There was one scene where they just shared a look between them and almost like a half smile. And that right there to me was like the culmination of everything that they've been through being worth it. 
Yeah, I agree completely. The house was awesome. Like, props to uh, the people that designed the house. Uh, I think a lot of that was CGI. I don't think they actually physically built the house, or at least in its entirety. But um, the house was adorable, very uppish. And uh, the montage was really nice. I was very excited to see Rumple and Belle like, living blissfully together. Jenna, what about you? Did it uh, tug on your heartstrings? Oh, of course it did. Um, so I didn't catch, I didn't fully catch the up, the, um, the up parallels the first time, but you definitely get the, you definitely get like a very vague up feeling and it definitely held true there. I loved the design of the house. I loved how this set that they're probably only going to use once they put so much effort and detail and love into, um, you get to see the process of them making the house. So, again, you're falling in love with their home. You're falling in love with this life that they're having together. I wish I could spend some time in that house and look at all the pictures and see what kind of books Belle keeps and see what Rumpel does. And just, I, I, um, I think Vinny said it, but yeah, I love that look that they exchanged. It was just, it was, it was mysterious, but also said so much about what these two mean to each other. Just the beauty and the love that they're always going to share no matter what. And it's a it's as he said also, it's a culmination of things. So yeah, that was su- that was such a heartwarming sequence. Heather, what about you? It was beautiful. Have I said that enough this episode yet? Um, well, it's appropriate because that's pretty much the name of the episode. Beauty. It is. They, the they appropriately game. named. <laughs> um, I, I loved it. It was, I've waited six seasons, seven seasons now for this scene, and it was perfect. Um, as soon as they started, I caught on to the um, up reference. Like, as soon as they showed the little travel book, I was like, oh, this is going to be cute. And then they started playing the music, and I was like, wait a minute, up. Hang on. That movie gets me. Um, but I, I also wanted to live in their house. I don't know if that's weird. If I can just join them, that's cool. Sure. Um, you might have to pay rent. I'm all right with that. If we can live on the edge of realms all those summer days, it's nice. I deal with that. But there was one um, particular scene during the montage where um, Belle and Rumple are sitting outside and uh, on the little mat having a picnic or something along those lines. And you can tell it's just Bobby Carlisle and Emily DeRaven sitting out there just talking to one another. But they have such amazing on-screen chemistry that I buy into it so easily. And it's just it, just knowing everything that's happened between them, the mistakes they've both made um, throughout the seasons, to get this moment was just absolutely fantastic it was beautiful i can't say enough nice things about it but i do have one question and that is where the heck did they get all of that stuff oh my god yes because seriously (laughs) you are not gonna build that that was yeah i'm going to assume that at some point (laughs) like maybe rumple left the edge of realms for like a second or something or he he had to have used the dagger to like magic their stuff from their home That's, like the personal stuff that. per se the best thing is you yeah. guys just gave me 
<laughs> you guys just give me the perfect segue. I told you about this before we started. This is my, my little joke pun about the entire episode. It would be so lovely living at the edge of realms, knowing that there's an Ikea right around the corner. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> I was watching this, and wait, I, I would have liked even a two-second image of, like, the the you know the dwarves or someone since apparently magic beans are suddenly in vending machines and storybook now i'm yes. guessing yes <laughs> you know coming yeah. and helping move because we all know that rumple <laughs> could not build all that by himself and neither could bell no way yeah no either that or maybe oaken like um you know has his own like that he franchised like, or something. No, he has a trade <laughs> shop out in the Red Room. Exactly. He's the IKEA <laughs> of uh, <laughs> the Enchanted Realms. What I choose to believe is that they just threw a beam down on the floor of Gold's pawn shop and pushed everything through. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that idea. <laughs> I, yeah. I can, I'm sold. Probably. So, let's get into it. Bell. Belle is near death, and she recounts their love story, and she basically asks Rumpel to believe, believe that this prophecy will come true, and that they will be reunited eventually. And we have seen that there is an underworld, and, and uh, you know, people can reunite after death on Once Upon a Time. So let's talk about Belle and um, Belle dying in the flashback. Heather? Okay, I want to preface this by saying I absolutely never cry. Like, during movies, it has to be like Marley and me or something to really, really get me. Never cried during a TV show. I ugly face cried. Like, seriously cried. Um, It was fantastic. It was... From the moment of her getting up on the stool and opening up the blinds and that being this just amazing parallel back to uh, season 112, Skin Deep, where she's, you know, bringing the light into his life. See, writers, Uh, some parallels work. Beautifully work. And then when they started the flashbacks, that's when I was like, you know what, just let it go. Because I can't hold it back anymore. It was... It was beautiful. Um, you can take a drink now. Uh, it was beautiful. It was fantastic. It was it was so sweet. Just everything that they've been through and, and have done and to have that moment. It was horrible because my heart's broken. And I don't really know how I feel about it in upcoming episodes. Just because, number one, for them to reunite now, you know, Rumpel's got a croak. Um, essentially, there could be other ways around it. We have been to the underworld, so I'm a little bit afraid of that. But overall, it was just such a great scene, and just forget you, Bobby Carlyle, for making me feel these things, because his reactions to what she was saying, just, ah, that's all I can say. That's all I got. It was fantastic. Yes, and uh, a, uh, Note from the management, we only encourage drinking games with our listeners that are 21 years and older. I'm just saying. That's correct. Yes. yes. And please yep. imbibe responsibly. Vinny, what about you? Bell, the bell of it oh, all. Bell. The bell uh, of the know, ball. 
the bell of the ball. I have to say that I have had a love-hate relationship with Belle through this entire series, but it's not the character or the actress's fault. My my hate side of it has always been that I felt like Belle was always that friend standing in the corner at the party near the crowd of all the cool people, and occasionally they'd be like, hey, remember that, Belle? Because it always felt like they would bring Belle in and they would start ramping it up, and I'd be really excited she was going to be a huge part of a major story, and then her part within the story would always come across to me most of the time as diminished. So I always felt like they underutilized her in a lot of the arcs in the seasons. But this this was a piece de resistance for the actress and the character in one episode, and not even the full episode, in her flashback sequences, Emily just blew me away. It it fully reinforced everything that I've always thought about the actress was that she is capable of such phenomenal acting. She's also capable of tugging on the heartstrings because I ugly face cried too. I completely did. My cats were meowing at me because I was sitting there kind of sobbing and I must have looked crazy. But she did such an effective job not only of her mannerisms as an older Belle and her words and the way that she conveyed them, but she conveyed the age. And that is something that is really, really hard to do. A lot of times they'll chalk on that age makeup, which actually was pretty well done by the way. Uh, But the actor will still talk the same, you know, walk the same, watching her daughter along as he helped her into the chair, watching her rest in his arms, the way she held her neck and her face and her facial movements. I think she did a really good job. And for an actress who came back to wrap up a six season long story arc that ended suddenly, it was so well played and so well done. I, I, the only reason that I didn't like it is because now she's gone and we don't know how they'll bring her back if they ever do. But that was the only flaw that I saw in all of it. Jenna, what about you? Okay, so I actually didn't cry, but here's the thing. I don't know I normally cry at movies and musicals, but not really TV shows. The only time I've really cried at a TV show, and this was upon the rewatch, was the elevator scene from the Underworld arc where um Hook and Emma are saying goodbye. But even still, I felt tears welling in my eyes every time I watched the death scene and every subsequent time I watched um the house building scene and the death scene um i'm with Vinny. this was just flawlessly acted both in terms of age and just the dialogue that said um you felt the chemistry like you 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 always feel the chemistry between um robert and emily but it's just it it, this was like it took what uh, it took a dynamic that was already like at a 9 out of 10 in terms of actor chemistry and kind of pushed it to 12 out of 10 and just it's it's such a beautiful scene and also i mean i know that the whole theme of the show is belief but i find it kind of interesting how um for both their sort of final appearances um both emma and bell have their speech all about believing like you need to believe in order for this to work so i just thought that was kind i thought that was a, a little bit of an interesting thing to bring in but just wow what a great scene it was so emotional i heard that both um bobby and emily were crying at the end of it and how could you not i mean i know i didn't but i'm this weird i'm this weird amalgamation of not crying and crying but just yeah what a great moment yeah jenna i guess both of us are probably 
still missing our hearts. I think Cora must have taken it a few seasons ago because I didn't cry. I love that we do have people that cried because I know a lot of people out there did cry, but I'm part of the side of uh, the once verse that, that didn't. I don't get emotional that way with TV shows. Um, maybe there's something missing in me. Empathy. I did have I don't know. one issue though. Yeah, okay, go ahead. So, am I the only one that during the library scene with Gideon and Rumple that Belle's wig bothered me? Did anyone else have an issue with it? Uh, her wig bothered me the entire time. Oh wow! I, I just all I could think of was Lily Munster. Uh huh. <laughs> Until she got her old gray wig on, I was yes. kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> not sure. It personally didn't bother me, but I normally don't pay that close attention to wigs. The only time that I've ever been bothered by wigs a little was Robert Carlyle's wig in the first few episodes of season six. But again, that was kind of the only time. But I just, I guess I don't pay too close attention to hair for actually for like a long time. I thought Emily was a natural brunette. So shows how much, how little attention I pay to makeup. Yeah, the only wig that bothered me was whatever the hell they put on Jennifer Morrison a couple episodes ago. Oh, don't even talk about that. Yeah. But um, as far as Belle and, and her story, I know it was very controversial online. A lot of people, I guess, threw their television out their window or something. I liked it. I thought it was fine. Rumbell got their epic love story. They got a happy ending. A lot of people are like, they lied to us. It wasn't a happy ending. I'm like, come on. They lived a happy life together and she died of old age. She is immortal. It's a happy ending for their love. And uh, the idea that she's sort of in the underworld waiting for him so that they can move on together, I think is very romantic. And... Uh, I think it's a happy ending. I mean, obviously she died, which it is sad, but they're going to reunite at some point, which I, I like that. I think the idea and the hope of their reunion in the afterlife is um, is really nice. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Rumpel and how Robert is going to portray that later on uh, you know once we get into the hyperion heights of it all now at the end of the storyline after bell is um is buried and i thought it was appropriate that it was uh in the rose garden i thought that was a really nice touch we learn that apparently there's this guardian out there that will be revealed it seems almost as if the guardian might not even know that they are the guardian but there is a guardian out there that can sort of like house the darkness so that the dark one i guess no longer exists or this darkness that's inside of rumple that's part of the dark one curse can be absorbed or guarded by the guardian and so rumple sets off to find the guardian and he ends up in the magical forest and he meets alice so two questions 
what did you all think about this guardian thing and what did you think of rumple meeting alice and i'm gonna go first because what the fuck is a guardian and why are we just now learning about this and why does it seem like rumple has always known about the guardian and why have we never heard about this like that was the only thing about the flashback that really annoyed me and i hate when shows do this and unfortunately it's just something that happens. Like, I think all of these shows that, you know, have these sort of, like, rich mythologies, because, you know, they get to the point to where they're on for six, seven, eight seasons, and, and they need to sort of, like, continue the story, and they need to, like, add these new elements. You know, it, it just, they have to add a new element that maybe was always there but we just didn't know about it and you know other people know about it and then i just i hate that though like on any in any television series i always find it annoying I'm like why didn't we know this before and it's i mean the answer is simply you know the writers didn't think about it until now to be quite honest so uh, that was the only thing that bugged me because i feel like they should have mentioned this at some point you know somewhere kind of like the whole thing you know several seasons into the series the sorcerer the sorcerer the sorcerer and well that ended up happening and uh rumple and alice like we had some really great theories um earlier in our season after we saw or i should say when we discussed the very first episode of season seven and I was a little disappointed in what we saw because it seems as if Rumpel met Alice like that same day that Henry met Ella in the Magical Forest. And when we see Alice with Henry, like she looks completely different and... Uh, it seemed as if, or at least the way that it was acted or, and, and uh, the dialogue, it seemed as if Alice knew Rumple from like back in the day or something like that, or at least for some time. And it looks like they just met that day. So that's the only thing that I found a little bit disappointing. And um, it kind of ruins my tiny theory that Alice is a dark one or the dark one of uh, the magical forest. But I'm still hoping that she's a dark one just because, you know, she was very magical the first time that we saw her. But now that we see her, you know, just chasing a rabbit, I don't know, just, I was a little disappointed by that meeting. I, I was hoping for something a little bit better. Anyway, I don't know if anyone else shares that feeling. But uh, let's see, who shall I pick on first? Um, Jenna, what about you? Okay, so I'm actually, believe it or not, with you, Jeff. Um, see, um, well, at least with part one. Um, I normally am not somebody who really gets all up in arms about plot holes. I don't think they're that big of an issue, usually, because plot holes and story holes are a different thing. A plot hole like, oh, where did this, when did they get this magical MacGuffin? It normally doesn't matter to me because it's like, it's just magic and look. Look, it's pretty likely Rumple just never had a use for this item in a shop. But with the Guardian, and also coupled with the fact that they didn't even bring up the possibility of using True Love's Kiss to get rid of the Dark One's curse. Yes. It 
it does cause it does cause a bit a bit of a big story hole and it did and I feel like that was the big like the only real thing that hurt the episode is just these big is just those are really big story holes and for them not to be addressed or I mean they could have just said Rumpel came across the information about the Guardian in his research and or and maybe some reason why True Love's Kiss wasn't attempted. But I just kind of find it because those are actually those actually like contribute to the story. I get that that would, that that stuff was ignored more for the benefit of new viewers because they because the season's a bit of a reboot in some way. But just to not even tap on it, I think was a bit of a mistake. Yeah, because yeah, it's that hard. It's a really weird story issue. Because it's kind of like, if Bell and Rumpel are so in love, why isn't this working? No, you're 100% right. And I remember, I forgot to mention it when I was discussing it, but I remember as I watched the episode, I kept on wondering, why aren't they doing a true love's kiss? Because if we all remember, I don't remember what the episode was, but Bell kissed Rumpel in the Enchanted Forest, and True Love's Kiss oh, was starting deep. to... It was skin deep, was it? Skin deep. Yeah, yeah yes. and it, the That's True Love's Kiss was starting to work. And one of the things that I sort of forgave why True Love's Kiss didn't work later on was because A, they were in Storybrooke, and B, because after they introduced the whole Snow White thing where because she didn't believe or something the magic wasn't working and whatever whatever i was like well if maybe if if rumple didn't want it to happen then it wasn't going to work at all because he wasn't ready to give up the dark oneness but you would think after he decided i want to get rid of this you know i want to be mortal i want to live my life with you i want to age with you that true love's kiss would have worked so that doesn't sit right with me um, okay, uh, so... Yeah. so I agree yeah. with you, Jenna. Yeah, um... Yeah, I always kind of saw that as, yeah, him... Rumpel specifically on his guard, like, okay, I... Every time I'm... Every time I'm kissing Belle, I kind of have to, in the back of my mind, at least keep my power in mind. Think so about my power, think like, about my power, think about my power. Yeah, like, basically, like, it has to be there on some level, because... Yeah, why wouldn't any kiss work? Because he still has that strong value for his power. Um, now going on to Rumpel and Alice's first meeting, I do admit it it's a little weird that in the first episode of the season, Alice kind of, the way she talks about him speaks of a bit more familiarity, but that's not to say maybe she didn't hear about the Dark One in another way, and she just doesn't know what the Dark One looked like, like maybe she'd read a few books or something, so... Maybe that familiarity makes a bit more sense in hindsight, because, again, we're eventually going to see more of Alice's story. Um, I do... I, it was. It's really funny how it's just, he stepped out of the portal and suddenly Alice is there. Maybe she's the Guardian. That would um, be interesting, because you know what? Like, we don't know how much time passed. If it was kind of instantly, like, if this was him directly going from the Edge of Realms to there and we're not sort of like guessing that he's been like going all over the place and then he's there because he was like i need to find the guardian he opens up a portal and he's he runs into her so that would be funny because that would sort of add at least like i'll accept her to be the guardian if she's not going to be the dark one in the magical forest i think that's a good um theory i do hate though that 
like they're still i don't know i, I just we discussed this already but like them using the doctor strange portal versus how portals used to look before it, it's just it's very weird for me still well, that's all I have to say on the matter, so I'm sure one of our other lovely two hosts, um, co-hosts would love to say things. Yes, Heather, what about I you? Hear them. Um, so, I actually, I did want to go back and talk about the, um, how, about the kiss not working, because I, I actually never had a problem with that, and I don't really think I have a problem with it now, either, just because of the fact that Rumple did choose his power over her at during skin deep because it was more important for him to get to Bellfire than it was for him to try to move on. And anytime after that, it still occurs that he's chosen and he's chosen that power. And even though he does love her, he still wants the magic. And even though I, I do believe that he 100% wants to get rid of the dark one curse. I think it's very interesting that his first um, thought the how do I fix this problem is magic. It's still magic. And I think that speaks more along the lines of, yes, it is still a curse. It, it is still a curse on him, but it is still something that he is comfortable with, something that he doesn't want to let go of, even though he does want to live out his life with Belle, if, if that makes sense. So it, I, I feel it like does. it's one of those conflicts mm -hmm. within it's a, him It's himself. his crutch. Yeah, it's his crutch. Um, but I'm really proud of him because... You know, even though I do still believe that he, he thinks that he needs the magic, he doesn't use it as readily. Um, Belle was able to convince him that she that they didn't need magic to build their house. They could do it by themselves. He didn't need to use magic to heal her, to make her young again. That he just needed to accept what had happened, what was happening, and go forward. So there's still growth, but I think that's probably why he needs... Um, the magical MacGuffin to take away the Darkwing curse. The Guardian actually, for once, the magical MacGuffin did not bother me. Um, oh. I, I actually, like, it always bothers me, especially Squid Ink. Anytime something like that is brought up, I'm like, no, you can't go against your own rules. But if you think about it from the perspective of Rumpel wanting to keep his power... If he were to go, if he, even if he knew about who the Guardian was, he wouldn't have gone down that route any time prior to this because it would be him giving up his power, losing his power, and he has nothing to gain from that. But now, I, I really do think we've seen the change in him, and now he has a goal. And any time Rumpel has a goal, I mean, you know, we had the entire season one to see him reaching a goal because of one mistake he made. So I think you can make sense of the Guardian if you if you think about it in the context of it's not something he would have been interested in prior to this moment, but now he wants to get back to Bell. Yeah, just as long as it isn't Rocket Raccoon. As long as it's not Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> um, I I did not like him meeting Alice. I was expecting that Thank to be. You. A lot more. Um, I loved her um, line about him looking for a prince or something like that. I got a chuckle out of it. Oh, that her, was, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Good. That was a good line. That was, like, the only thing I liked. Yes. And the little, the, was it just me that saw, I, I, I watched it a couple times, but was there not, like, a little white rabbit? Yes, she was chasing the white rabbit. Yeah. Right, white rabbit not even like a cgi'd white rabbit well it know. looked it cgi'd it was regular but cgi'd into the shot okay because okay. it was hopping 
at a weird rate. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was disproportionate weight. Right. It was like shockwave a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. That that was a little disappointing. I was expecting it to be more, but she can be the guardian. I'm okay with that if that's the way they want to go. Riders, listen up. Exactly. Vinny, what about you? What did you think of uh, the Guardian as well as Rumpel and Alice's meet-cute in the Magical Forest? Well, first I'm going to continue the trend and comment on the kiss because I actually have a theory about that. Ooh, sure. So if you remember, in Skin Deep, when Belle kissed him after Regina kind of hinting that it might break the curse. So my theory is that as a vessel of the Dark One, if you have given up hope, you've given up humanity, you're focused only on revenge or chaos or whatever, the curse consumes you. And it manifests in the form of the sparkly gold skin, kind of like Nimue, kind of like Rumpel when he was in the prime of the, you know, the darkness. What I think the kiss was actually doing wasn't breaking the curse of the Dark One. It was breaking through the shell that he'd created and that the darkness creates when its vessel gives into it completely and makes them almost inhuman. She was returning his humanity. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, she was de-juicifying yeah, Rumpel. That's deep. <laughs> one of our... Um, callbacks one of our inside jokes from previous seasons was uh when sparkly rumple was on he was juicy woo so um he was de-juicifying now i'm gonna forever picture him wearing those sweatpants with juicy and sparkles written on the butt exactly there you go <laughs> woo! Um, but that that's kind of how I justified it, and it made sense to me that it didn't because the Dark One curse is so ingrained inside the vessel that I, I would honestly feel cheapened if True Love's Kiss got rid of it. Uh, that being said, let's talk about the Guardian. Okay, so we spent an entire half, if not whole, season on the Dark One mythology. In fact, we met the origin or the, I can't talk originator of the Dark One's curse. Yes, the she was horrible. Yeah, oh yeah, she was totally horrible. But Here's my thing. We had the original Dark One. We had the sorcerer who was part of the creation. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that after all those countless Dark Ones going all the way back to Nimue and Merlin, no one ever found this? That's that is true. Story. And you know what? To add what you're to what you're saying, like they specifically said you can't get rid of it. Yep. And so now all of a sudden you can get rid of it. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole thing, like, uh, you made a joke of it, but we make a joke of it as well, of, like, there are magic beans all over the place now. You could just, like, yeah. remember Rumpel, season one, he was, like, dying to make a portal <laughs> to, like, come to, like, the land without magic. And now people portal hop, you know, like they're, you know, using the freaking bathroom. Like, you, you just, just make a portal. Like, there's actually like, a really good theory about that. Oh, um so, um, so what happened, what some people theorize is that Rumpel was specifically looking for a way to get to get to the land without magic without losing his magic. So he was, so the dark curse was one of the only curses that could work, that could get him to Balefire. And because of the magic well and the true love potion, he could still have his power. And there were some, and some methods like the magic heals, like which had a way back to the land with magic or magic beans, which would just straight up get him there. Mostly those were kind of offered, like, early on. Well, at least the magic bean was offered early on, the one with uh, Killian and Mila, where he was, like, the darkness hadn't fully consumed him yet. Like, there was still, like, that, there was still, like, time. So if he took the magic bean now, he would have had it, he would have had, like, enough humanity to be like, okay, yeah, I'm taking the first route possible. 
But, like, as time went on and as it consumed him, the curse kind of became the only way I can both get my son and keep my magic. Well, I can get that in regards to just Rumple. But even early on in the series, like, it was difficult for anybody to jump realms. And, uh, like, the magic bean supply was very limited. You had to climb the beanstalk, this, that, or the other. And now all of a sudden, like, everyone is, like, hopping through portals and like okay let's go from storybook to the magical forest let's go from Especially here to there and so burned the mind, Anton, yeah he's growing magical beans apparently you know maybe they, you know at uh, the wandering oakens that has been franchised throughout the magical realms <laughs> they're selling magic beans now too <laughs> they're selling their doctor strange rings so they can <laughs> yes. open the portals that's what's up yeah doctor strange them. was yeah. all the rage so yeah. maybe that's why we're seeing those portals that's what's up I think that's one of the suspensions of disbelief that we have to have for, like, things that happen behind the scenes. Because that was my biggest thing, is, like, Regina raised the bean field, so I just like to think that Anton had, like, a secret grow house with black lights where he was, like, growing magic beans he sells on the street corner. Yes, as well as edibles. I'm sold on that. I'm down. Right, but as far as the Guardian thing, I, I literally, my friends and I used to have this game where if we were watching a show and something happened and it was a plot device, we would like make a bell ringing noise and be like, boop, plot device, because that's what it was. You know, it, it, it was too convenient. It was too out of left field with the story, the mythology of the show. I really felt that the only way they could have justified finding this magical Guardian somewhere was if it was revealed that... Gideon was going to a university in one of the alternate realms, and he discovered this information that had been lost. Something as simple as that. Yeah, uh, one little line would have made it make sense. Yeah. Otherwise, now it's like, what's next? Guardian vaccines on the corner with a little truck going through Storybrook for everyone that picks up the dagger. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I mean, I saw it for what it was. It was a, I think it was a very rushed addition because they were really trying to find a way to get Rumpel to the current story. And that leads me into the next part, which I literally can only think of Casablanca. It's like, of all the forests in all the worlds, you just happen to walk into the one where you're great-grandson and Alice is walking. It was like, literally like, okay, no backstory of like how he got there, how he found this place, what led him to that forest. We just kind of had to take that for granted, and I really feel like the meeting with Alice was something that I would have preferred to see in a later episode when they could have given it a bit more time. Maybe had that be the overarching flashback that was happening simultaneously with Hyperion Heights, as opposed to a quick two-minute meeting where it really didn't justify what was happening between them, which we'll talk about later when we get to Hyperion Heights. I I loved Alice herself. I think the actress is really awesome. I, I really love the line about the prince because that just made me chuckle. But I really could have done without that scene until later when it could have been fleshed out a bit more. Yeah, I agree. I co-sign with all of that. So let's get into Hyperion Heights. And... Uh, Let's do all of the Halloweeny stuff first. So it's Halloween in Hyperion Heights, and uh, Ivy is tasked with uh, taking uh, Lucy trick or treating. Jacinda drops off her uh, costume at uh, the Belfry Towers, and then Ivy has a great line about, uh, you know. T- 
take we, you need to take out the trash to um she calls up somebody was i liked it <laughs> even though it was very bitchy and so um she uh ivy ends up getting distracted while they're out trick-or-treating and it allows lucy basically to uh give her the slip and uh, she, she does this great thing of like uh you know convincing this girl to uh, pretend to be her which worked for all of like 10 seconds but it was just enough for lucy to slip away elsewhere ronnie and henry are chatting and basically the point of the conversation is uh to see ronnie give henry some advice you know basically you know, you have to let go of your past. You have to let go of the ghosts that are haunting you. And uh, you should allow yourself to be open for love and for new love. And it's basically uh, Ronnie, um, you know, giving Henry some advice on his whole situation with Jacinda. So Henry heads to... Uh, Jacinda at, at work and um, he's ready to ask her out on a date but before he can say anything Ivy's there basically telling Jacinda that she's lost Lucy and Jacinda can't leave her job because uh, you know she, she can't get fired because of the whole situation you know she's trying to uh, get custody back of Lucy so she can't do that without a job so Henry volunteers to help find Lucy. He asks Jacinda to text him like some places where she thinks Lucy might be. Later that night, Henry runs into Ivy and um, Ivy ends up confessing to Henry about uh, her relationship with her mother and uh, she explains that she feels alone and um, she's always on the wrong side of things and... Um, Henry ends up um, showing Ivy like the list that Jacinda sent, and uh, Ivy realizes where Lucy is because earlier in the episode Lucy had mentioned uh, about this haunted house and whatnot. And so the three of them head back to uh, Jacinda's job at um, Mr. Cluck's, and Jacinda and Lucy invite Henry to go trick-or-treating with them, but Henry ends up declining, and uh, over at Ronnie's, uh, Henry and Ivy end up sharing a drink together, and, and they sort of talk about how both of them, you know, end up, uh, like, commiserating together about, you know, feeling alone, and um, this is that or the other, so... Let's break this storyline down. The whole uh, Ivy, Henry, Jacinda, and Lucy side of things. Uh, let's start off with Vinny. What did you think of this storyline in Hyperion Heights? I thought this was actually really interesting because Ivy is one of those characters that so far has not really had a chance to be prominent in a story. She's kind of been on the sidelines, and I am a huge fan of Adelaide Kane. I loved her on Rain, and I was really interested to see what she does with this character. And mm. 
It was really interesting to actually finally see her be something more than one-dimensional because I feel like that's what she's been all season. That little window into possible foreshadowing of peeling back the layers of bitterness and brainwashing by her mother and the potential to maybe become a better person down the line as the story progresses, I thought that was really well captured and I really liked the fact that she... It, it kind of goes back to Henry being the truest believer, and Henry has been a character that has always kind of brought out the better in most people on the show, with a few exceptions, but he still, under this curse, has the ability to bring out goodness in people, and I think that's what he did with her, is he made her you know, realize this is someone that I was making fun of, but we actually have a lot in common. He put her in her place on that park bench, and it was really amusing to watch, you know, when he was like, I sit in my apartment, one bedroom, with ghosts for company, and she laughed at him, but then when he explained, it really, you could tell that it struck a chord within the character. Uh, as far as Jacinda and Lucy, I love Lucy's little escape that was utterly hilarious because we've all had that babysitter that doesn't pay the best attention or you know worried that we'd have that babysitter and it was just so kind of like home alone-ish or just like problem child just watching her pull this off and ivy going from being the ice queen to like oh god i'm gonna be in deep shit if this doesn't get fixed right now um jacinda was really on the back burner this episode I felt, which was kind of nice, I, I like the character development with her and I like her story so far, but I really felt that it would have been too easy if Henry just walked into the chicken shack, asked her out, and that was left until next week for them to go on a date. I kind of like this dancing around these two lovers who we know are destined to be together and the curse or circumstances kind of bringing them so close but then something sidewinds them and they end up going back apart. I think that's really awesome on the writer's part because it would be too neat and too easy if they just went on a date and, you know, started facing the rest of the season as a couple already. I'm really curious to see what happens with Ivy and Henry. Uh, I really liked the last scene. I'm probably in the in the minority in that because I know online I was looking at it and people were really upset about it. But I think it's so early in the season that we know they're going to end up together and that Ivy is probably just a distraction. They may not even hook up. But for right now, I think it served its purpose of bringing Ivy out and letting us see what that character has, what's going on, and giving her a chance to show maybe this is Regina 2.0, you know, someone who can develop and be pulled away from Tremaine's claws down the line. Okay. I like a lot of what you said, Vinny, because I really enjoyed Ivy this episode as well. It was great to see some layers to her, which I thought was fascinating to watch, and uh, I feel like the actress did a really good job with it. I also agree that it was nice to have Jacinda a little bit on the back burner, just because we've had a lot of Jacinda-heavy episodes throughout uh, these, these past few episodes of the season so far, so it was nice to get a little bit of a break from her. I do agree with you. I like the end as well, although I don't want anything to happen with them. Like, in my mind, like, I want her to be lesbianist with Tilly. So, <laughs> I don't want them to hook up. There's a part of me, because of the whole curse of it all and the Victoria Belfry of it all, that kind of questions whether Ivy is, like, 100% being honest with everything that she's saying. Like, I feel like how she's feeling is the truth but is she flirting with henry or or being flirtatious ish with him because victoria told her to that's the thing that i'm 
questioning. Like, I'm questioning her true intentions mm. of uh, that whole situation. Because I feel like we could potentially see some sort of scene in a future episode with, so, Ivy, you know, how's it going with Henry? Or something like that. And uh, I would be like, I called it. Because I... Also, I really want her to be a lesbian with Tilly. But uh, we'll get into that later on. Um, yeah, because I feel like that coupling would throw Victoria for a loop. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to be talking all about Tilly in a moment. As far as, like, you know, just everything else, I, I liked, I really liked the conversation between Ronnie and Henry. I mean, it's Regina being a mother to Henry without her knowing that she's being a mother to Henry. I think it's really nice. And uh, that warmed my heart a lot because it's almost as if uh, Ronnie like instinctually knows that, um, you know, she can mother this man who, I mean, is practically or near ish to her age so it's like she's being a mother to this you know grown-ass man which uh, i uh, really really loved it sort of harkened back to like scenes with uh, mary margaret giving emma advice back in season one you know mother and daughter not knowing that they're mother and daughter and that whole thing so that was really sweet to see and uh of course halloween you know it was just fun to see halloween in hyperion heights and of course all of the costumes that we saw a lot of them you know very disney-esque a lot of them characters that we've seen before on the show which was really neat to see uh jenna what about you what did you think of the henry ivy jacinda lucy storyline of the episode well i really liked it um i think that I liked Ivy's development. I thought it was a very fun plot. It uh, it definitely it moved the characters without moved the characters in a new direction, which I didn't expect, mm-hmm. but was really um, but it was really fun. Um, I didn't really ex- I never expected Ivy and Henry to have like to get that deep into a dynamic, but now that I've seen it, it's it's clever and it's cool seeing these two bond over baggage and concerns about forming relationships and family drama. So, yeah, that's cool. I'm with you, Jeff, where I think that there's kind of like some um, some potential for nefarious intentions on Ivy's part. Thank you. Uh, yep. I thought I was reading too much into it. I'm so glad uh-huh. you caught it. Or at least, you know, what I think yeah. I'm catching you caught too. Yeah, um, Lucy's scheme was just adorable, and just, it screamed Henry, and I just love those flashes where it's like, yeah, this is definitely Henry's daughter, because he, he would totally do that, and it's just, it was so smart. Um, I think the costumes were fun. Uh, I like the little Halloween tradition that Jacinda and Lucy have, that was cute, and it makes me really want to know what other costumes um, Lucy's gone in in the past. Um, I I do like that they put Jacinda on the back burner because Jacinda had a very big episode last episode, and it it was like a nice full story. And seeing her on the sidelines here, she definitely had a she definitely had plenty to do, uh, but it but it was a move that made sense and kind of allowed for 
other dynamics to show up, especially Henry and Ivy. Um, Henry and Ronnie's talk was awesome. I love how he, when she brings him the drink, he said he talks about cinnamon, and it's a really nice, subtle Emma illusion. So that was just nice and adorable. It was an illusion to both his mothers. That drink is. That's the Swan Queen drink. Yeah, but it's usually, like, the hot cocoa. So, I guess you, it could be, like, a spiced apple drink. But I, I felt like it, they were, like, really reaching with that a little bit. I wish that it would have been, like, like, a, like, a boozy, like, hot chocolate. And then that kind of would have... I don't know. I would have liked that I, a little bit more. I could see that. Um... But yeah, um, Ronnie as Marilyn Manson was pretty cute, and I loved seeing the You bar. mean Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Marilyn Monroe. Ronnie Monroe. as Marilyn Manson, I would pay big money to see that. Same. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked, yep, uh, anyways, I liked their conversation. I liked seeing the bar dressed up for Halloween because, wow, and I hope they have a Christmas episode because I really want to see Ronnie's bar all in Christmas lights and such. I feel like that would give way to to the, be the backdrop of a lot of good conversations or romantic scenes. I could totally see, like, Henry and Jacinda being under the mistletoe while, mistletoe while with Christmas lights all in the background, like a co- weird combination of just Stranger Things and Sherlock, and just, it, it's just gonna be, it would just be really pretty. I um, like that. Conversation about letting go is letting go of the past and moving forward. Knowing what you know watching the seven seasons, it's so it's just so good and very and very nice to see that conversation happening. And I kind of like, in a way, I kind of like seeing that it's that that Henry didn't end up following the advice because it shows that he still has a long, long way to go. He's still, it's that like this is showing he really has lost belief. This is the severity of it. Even a pep talk, which in the olds are in the first six seasons usually was enough to cheer him up. It's not enough this time. It's going to be a lot harder than that. So, yeah. Heather, what about you? I really, um, I like the parallels between this episode and the episode, and Skindy from season one. Um, and I'm going to use this parallel to make a prediction in just a second, but you can really tell, uh, when I was watching it, I, I honestly thought that it was, um, Jane Espenson, who had written the this episode because it felt so much like Skin Deep, but when I went in and looked, it was Adam and Eddie who kind of headed it up. Um, but you get this, you you know, you get this beautiful love story in the background. Then you get the main plot line between what is Rumple doing, and then you get this like really weird, little strange, little extra plot that moves everybody else's story forward. And it was it's really it was very very good and well placed. Um, but I feel like Jacinda and Henry and Ivy, like that little triangle, in in Skin Deep you had Mary Margaret and Charming have this almost nice moment until Charming gives her the wrong Valentine's Day card. And I feel like that's almost the same thing that's happening between Jacinda and Henry, like the, mm. the curse is acting in between them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had Mary Margaret go off and have her, uh, they were under, they were cursed night with Whale. So I do think that Henry and Ivy may have some kind of interesting relationship, whether that's Ivy trying to twist everything for Victoria or whether that's real, I don't know. 
But I, I do think that that's going to be an interesting plot line to watch. Yeah, um, there's a part of me that really hopes, if they go that route, that it doesn't head into a sexual type of thing. Just because right, right, right. they might not be blood sisters, but they are technically sisters. sisters and, you know, the whole whale situation, I mean, that was kind of awkward and, and they made a mm-hmm. whole bunch of, like, awkward jokes about it. But he's, <laughs> like, an outside party. Like, this is your sister. Like, your stepsister, but nonetheless, it's a sister. Like, that's... That's too much for my life. I mean... Like, that's also, like Jerry Springer situation. That's like the whole Maury, you know, <laughs> you're the father type situation, so... Plus, they've also already kind of done that between Regina, Zelina, and Robin Hood. That so. is true, but we won't even get into that because that's a whole other can of worms that we can amen. get into. <laughs> um but also in the, in this part, I really liked the the Halloween episode. I loved Henry going up to Snow White and asking her, "Hey, have you seen this little girl?" That was just it was it was a nice little plug in for everything. And yes, I absolutely adore the chemistry between uh, Ronnie and Henry because Lana Priya and Jared Gilmore had just this fantastic on-screen relationship and off-screen relationship. And you could tell that there was genuine affection between the two of them. And I'm so happy that it really hasn't been lost with the new, uh, with new Henry. So that's, that was very cool. And also the speech that she gave him about needing to move on after you've lost somebody. That was beautiful. And extra special because of who it's coming from, even though she's cursed. Um, and, and I really liked both of those, those moments, but I have to make the comment. Um, I understand that between Ivy and Jacinda and Lucy, there's this whole different complication, but had I run off on my, anybody who was watching me, my mom would not have taken me trick-or-treating out afterwards. Right. That was super sweet, but I'd have been in trouble. Yeah, but I also think because Jacinda is like dying to have a moment with Lucy, that's probably why she, she overlooked it, it. Yeah, yeah, she'll let it slide this time. And plus, she could give three shits about Ivy, to be quite that's honest. Fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> you know, let's be real. Yeah. All right, um, and just to mention something that you said, uh, Heather, like one of the reasons why I mentioned their ages is because Lana did an interview. I think it was like right before the season started or or maybe over the summer where she referenced the fact that, you know, Andrew is only, I think like a couple years younger than her, but she mentioned how like they had like this really great mother son chemistry. And I think it's very evident in all of the scenes that they have together. For sure. Yeah. All right, let's get into the bigger storyline in Hyperion Heights. So, Weaver ends up chatting with Tilly, and it's an odd conversation, at least on Weaver's part. She's wearing a rabbit mask, and, um, you know, she's, like, alluding to, like, people wearing masks, and this, that, or the other, and uh, I think everybody that's watching the episode completely understands what she's saying, but Weaver is like, huh? And so, later on, 
Tilly ends up surprising Victoria in her car, and uh, she ends up alluding to Victoria that, you know, she knows what she's doing, she knows who she is, and this, that, or the other, but she does it in a very like Lewis Carroll, Alice kind of way, like in riddles and rhymes. Uh, like I loved the line where she was like, who are you? It was very Caterpillar for those that, uh, you know, have seen any version of Alice in Wonderland in the past. Um, and then um, Tilly ends up getting pepper sprayed. and But she leaves her backpack. And so Victoria calls Weaver. And she's like, I believe I had a run-in with one of your people. And he's like, how do you know? And that's because I, I found this card in her knapsack. And there are these pills. And I learned that, uh, you know, she's supposed to be taking these pills. But she hasn't been taking these pills, obviously. And she looks deranged and whatnot. So you need to handle this, basically. Or he will pay and um weaver initially doesn't want to have doesn't want like anything to do with it um he doesn't um have to follow what victoria is saying that he's his own man but um victoria ends up basically blackmailing him telling him that she has film of him doing you know nefarious things to nefarious people and nefarious nefariousness and if he doesn't do what she asks of him that uh you know because he's been a great help to her um she will visit him in prison basically and so uh even though um he doesn't want to do what victoria's saying he he obviously decides to uh, heed her warning. And so uh, Rogers and Weaver end up discussing Tilly. And the point of their conversation is uh, at the end of it all, it it seems as if uh, Weaver um, doesn't care about anyone but himself. That's sort of like the point of the conversation. At least that's what Rogers gathers about it. So later on, Weaver finds Tilly and questions her about why she stopped taking the pills. And uh, Tilly goes into this whole thing of like she feels big, but Victoria is trying to make her feel small. And uh, she talks about everyone in Hyperion Heights being a part of a puzzle and that they're all wearing masks. Even you, Weaver, you know, you're a good man, but uh, you're not acting like one. Or maybe, you know, the man behind the beast is hiding. He's like, you know, can you elaborate further? Like, what is this? You know, because she's like referencing Victoria and apparently this plot and whatnot. And she's still speaking in riddles. And uh, um, Weaver, it seems like he's getting confused. And so she's like, you know, I need to show you so that you can believe me. So they head on to the tr- head on over to the train tracks for the answer. And uh, while they're driving there, Weaver gives Tilly a orange marmalade sandwich. And so she bites into it. She says that it tastes funny. And she realizes that the sandwich has uh, ground up, her pills ground up in it. 
And so she's like, you know, these pills are going to make me feel small. And uh, she's like, you know, I need to show you the truth. Like before the um, pills, you know, take effect. And so she dips out of the car and she, you know, uh, Weaver, you know, heads on in pursuit. And uh, once Weaver catches her, she goes into, um, what do you call that? Like, um, it's like one of those train storage type of things. A, like a, a freight box locker. Car? There you go. A box car, freight locker, whatever you want to call it. And it seems as if Tilly lives there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It looks yeah, like it's her sure. home. And uh, she's got a whole bunch of trinkets and whatnot. And um, she asks Weaver to look at this chipped teacup. And it almost seemed like Weaver recognized it for a moment. But then he's like, no. And um, she's trying to explain that, that this should trigger the truth. And she's like, you know, you're Rumpelstiltskin. Like, you told me to do this. And... Uh, Weaver, you know, it, 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 he can't remember the past. And so Tilly ends up taking Weaver's gun and uh, she shoots him in order to prove that he is immortal. And so later on in the hospital, uh, Weaver is um, out, like knocked out. And um, he ends up having a vision of Belle. But uh, it stops, like, right before she kisses him. He regains consciousness. And uh, Weaver wakes up as Rumpelstiltskin. Like, Weaver remembers who he is. And um, he sort of, like, covers with Rogers, you know, saying that, you know, it wasn't Tilly was a robber that shot him. And uh, this is out of the other. And he orders uh, Rogers to tell Tilly that, that she's free to go and so Rogers tells Tilly that and uh, they end up playing a game of chess together bookmark that we're gonna have a full discussion about that and uh, Victoria ends up confronting Weaver in the hospital basically um, you know telling him that that uh, you know if, if uh, that he needs to keep Tilly on her medication and uh we realize that Rumple is awake because he calls Victoria Deary and, and basically tells Victoria that um, he's running his own show and that he isn't scared of her, that she can do whatever she wants, but like he will always find a way to survive that, you know, nothing she can do can harm him, basically. So let's get into this. Let's talk about Tilly and Weaver. Let's talk about Tilly and Rogers. Let's talk about Tilly and Victoria. And let's talk about Victoria and Rumple. So, who shall go first? Heather, what about you? Okay, um, I had a lot of comments about this section. Um, I, I totally agree with you, uh, with you, Jeffrey, about talking about how 
cool the way Tilly talked was about how the way they wrote that. It's yeah. very Lewis Carroll riddles. Yeah, it's riddles. Yes. It's it's very Alice in Wonderland, and, it is, you know, like, but like the very trippy Alice in Wonderland. Extremely trippy yeah. Alice in Wonderland. I really dug her comments about um, the pills making her small, mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted to feel big. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I loved these scenes between uh, Weaver and Tilly. So I, I understand that Weaver was being blackmailed, but I 100% am on board with the idea that he gave her the pills out of concern for her because you could tell he was yeah. like. Mm-hmm something's not right here and it doesn't matter and you know necessarily he can't benefit from her take being back on the pills but so will she in his mind at that point yeah i think the conversation that he had with rogers it was supposed to Mm -hmm. make us feel like he was doing it because of the black male situation right but you could tell just in the scenes that that we saw with him and tilly that he was genuinely concerned for her which is so nice to see weaver rumpelstiltskin gold whatever to see him on a side of a moral dilemma and to make the right choices repeatedly that was so nice um uh, and I think it's, I, I lost my point on that one at that moment. Um, but whenever they get into the boxcar, um, I think it's very interesting, number one, how quickly Tilly gets that gun away from him, because you're supposed to be a cop now, come on, man. Um, but also that you do kind of see that moment of, possible recognition between him and the teacup which is mm-hmm. i'm so glad they brought that back because i thought in season five that we completely and totally busted that and we haven't really seen it back well, since it's now so, completely and totally busted yeah well now it's again hope it'll be back it'll yeah. be back somebody some magical mcguffin will fix that daggum teacup it better at least um and I just, I really liked the moment between him and Tilly in the boxcar where, you know, you could tell she was slowly getting back into her right frame of mind. And then the moment where she's like, oh, you told me to do this Rumpelstiltskin. And then she shoots and I was like, oh, that was such a well done moment and such a good moment on, on the actress's part because she just plays that so, so well. Um, and then fast forwarding to... Uh, Rogers and Weaver in the hospital room where as soon as Weaver wakes up you can tell just by the way he talks the way he's kind of changed his accent back uh, like the little subtleties that uh, Robert Carlyle slips in there to show that he's Rumpelstiltskin again and no longer Weaver I I thought that was brilliant on his part and it was well played like you could tell in that moment Something had happened. Even if you hadn't had the whole Bell vision, you would know we're dealing with Rumpelstiltskin once again. And it really feels like at this point, we know who all the characters are, we, or most of the characters are. We have an idea of where we're going. The board is set. And everything after this is going to be moving that main plot along. So it was it was a very, very good episode on all parts, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought the acting was really good, uh 
between uh, Robert uh, Carlyle and Rose Reynolds. I thought they worked mm-hmm. very well together. And uh, I love that Rumple was not awake the whole time. Because I think there were a lot of theories online that, oh, you know, Rumple has to be awake. You know, there's no way in hell that he's under the curse. So I'm glad that he mm-hmm. was, you know, especially because that whole situation where he el- elbowed um, Henry in the face. Like, I didn't like that at all. And I'm like, if he's awake and he did that, then, like, old Rumple is back. But since we're, in my opinion at least, kind of confirmed that this is, like, the new reformed Rumple. Now, I'm glad that he is back and awake and I'm curious to know, does he know that this hook is Wish Hook? So that's going to be interesting to see. And uh, yeah, I'm now like really looking forward to seeing Rumpel mix it up in Hyperion Heights. Since you didn't mention anything about uh, Rogers and Tilly, let's save that until the end. Because I'm sure that could lead to it like an entire conversation. So, um, Vinny, focusing on uh, Weaver and Tilly and uh, Victoria and Rumple. What did you think of uh, that side of the Hyperion Heights storyline? Can I just say how much I love the fact that Tilly tried to rip off Victoria's face? Can we just like focus on that for a minute? <laughs> oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. That was that, very creepy. It was. Yep. It was. I think that Tilly is the best Alice that I have seen in a live action version in a very long time because she manages to capture that like naive innocence with a mixture of cleverness but with a dark undertone. I mean, let's face it, Alice went on some crazy journeys that are going to leave you scarred, like in some way, shape, or form. And I think Rose Reynolds does a really great job of, specifically in this episode, showing that there's more under Tilly than might have initially been thought. I really, like we talked about how she talked in riddles, it was very in character for Alice, and it was also very much like you could literally almost feel the tearing of... Uh, two personalities happening when the pills started to take effect you know i felt so bad for her because she wants to be clear she wants to be back to who she was and here she is just like no the pills are kicking in but i have to do this and it was really portrayed really really well and the chemistry between bobby and rose was definitely recognizable more than it was in the two minute where they first met in the flashback i loved the how he played this like i don't care about you but i'm gonna talk to you pretend that i'm using you but i really care about you and you're just weird but and she's kind of like i don't know what's going on in my life in the world but i know i don't know now i've got to make you believe you could just feel all of the conflicts taking place and i my favorite moment was when the teacup was brought out and you for a split second think like we talked about how he's going to remember but then he didn't and then when she got the gun albeit it was very unrealistic how easy it was i agree on that part because my father was a cop so there's no way it would happen that easy it's just the moment before she shot him i may be imagining this but i just seem to remember like the look in the character's eyes and the look in his eyes it was just this unspoken like something big is about to happen 
with this bullet. And it, I could feel the tension. It was almost palpable. And when he woke up after the close encounter of Bell Kind in his dream world, uh, I agree. You could definitely tell that Rumpel was back. And I think that he put Weaver on as a mask in like the nth degree because he just bit Roger's head off like super fast to like kind of reinforce who he was so no one would be suspicious. Uh, I was kind of disappointed in the weight that him using the word Deary had on Victoria. I would have liked to see something in Victoria like an oh shit moment because let's face it, it's Rumpelstiltskin. And Gabriel Anwar, the the character of Victoria in that moment, it was just, it fell flat with her, I felt like. It didn't seem to really register that it was Rumpel or if it was that she didn't care and she really should because he's a force to be reckoned with so I I didn't like that little moment um, but overall I really think that Rumpel and Tilly the entire episode were probably one of the strongest things that have happened this season thus far because not only did they open up the can of worms that's about to explode with the rest of the curse and slowly uh, things coming unraveling but it really created a nice dynamic with a new character and an old character and sets the stage for a journey they're going to take together the rest of the season. Okay I'm just going to disagree with you a little bit Vinny, because I liked that she didn't recognize the Deary, because Victoria so far seems to be, you know, a few steps ahead of everybody, and she seems to have, like, her shit together. Like, she is the HBIC, she's in control, everything is going her way, everything is moving swimmingly, so if she would have recognized him saying Deary, you know, like, it, it just... It would have been too soon for me. I'm glad that. that she didn't um, catch on to it. To be quite honest, it also would have been surprising if she would have caught on to it because I don't think she really knows much about this family. Like, she had to learn that Henry had the heart of the truest believer and all that kind of thing. So, I don't think she knows who Weaver is in the other realms. And uh, I think that's a good thing because she's going to completely underestimate him. And she has no idea that she has someone who is reformed, but is willing to do what needs to be done to protect his family. I can see that. That's really a good point, actually. Thank you. I try. Jenna, <laughs> Jenna has many good points. So Jenna, what about you? What did you think of Tilly and Weaver and Victoria and Rumpel? Okay, well, I'm also going to add a third one in there, um, both Weaver, Dash, Rumpel, and Rogers. I'm actually going to start with that one, because I really like how, for me, like, the first thing that Rumpel was awake was, um, as Vinny pointed out earlier, that snapping at Rogers. Like, and on some level, it's kind of like an, oh, shit, I'm awake, and now I've got to work with this guy who I hate. Like, whether or not he knows it's Wishhook or... The Killian from Storybrooke, it's still like, I am working I am working in close company with Hook and I he's this morally nice guy and I'm and I'm not afraid to work a little crooked when the time calls for it. So this is gonna be annoying. I don't think he hates him head. though. It's been many years. Like I think if it would have been Rumple from like season four, uh, he's evolved, I think. I think he tolerates him because he has to and is willing to kind of like let things go unless it's put in his face. 
I don't know. I disagree just a teeny bit. Just because if the character has been redeemed, like, he has to accept that these people are his family. I agree. I agree with Vinny. I think it's just there's too much hatred and there's too many circumstances for him to just for them to straight up bury the hatchet. I think just like this, we're dealing with each other. Okay, like we're dealing with each other for the sake of our children and our family. But it's not like these two are going to go play poker or something together or grab a drink at the rabbit hole. Okay, um, I really like how... I'm with you, Jeff. I agree. I like how Victoria didn't recognize Rumpel. I think it was... I think it's a cool, like, little uh, little uh, break in her armor. I think... So, yeah, I uh, I like how, it's un- how he's unrecognizable. It's going to add another level of intrigue between them going forward. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, you know, it can provide, like, a cool sneak attack and, you know, like, a real rival who can stand up to her because he's the, because he's a cop. He's kind of, in a way, an equally, he's this equally powerful position. Um, now on to Rumple and, uh, well, Weaver-Rumple and Tilly. I like their dynamic a lot. I like how you see these little bits of, there's little bits of the reformed Rumple where it's, like, He's acting like he doesn't care, but he really cares because Tilly's a very kindred spirit. Um, there, you can tell like like uh, Weaver is definitely popular with the police force, but most other people in Hyperion Heights don't really like him that much. And Tilly's just a straight up outsider, so they have this connection from being cop, the cop and the informants, and they get they get along they get along well. He's because she makes him feel comfortable, he wants to make her feel comfortable. And I like the conflict that this episode puts by testing that relationship. By seeing it, um, by seeing it both kind of be failed in, in a way, but also passed in a way when he drugs her. And seeing, her, and seeing their interactions in the boxcar... It's, it's a weird, it's a very weird give and take, and I'm excited to see how that develops going forward um yep so um yeah i just i genuinely like their dynamic a lot i i will admit i always like i like the alice from once upon a time in wonderland a little better than this alice but i also like for the quote-unquote like crazier character i think they did a pretty good job with tilly i think she's I think there's so much intrigue with her. I like seeing that there's kind of a way to control her, for lack of a better word, to rein her in. But we also see that the con- the consequences of those the consequence of those hindrances. Also, just also, I'm just so happy that they made Tilly an LGBTQ character. I was so excited to find out find out who that character would be. And Tilly is a really well loved character. There's a lot of cool. There's a lot of intrigue, excitement with her. So, yay! I can't wait to see who they, who they decide to couple her up with. Whether it be Ivy, or I'm I'm hoping Tiana is also an LGBTQ character, um, or maybe or somebody who we're who we've yet to meet. So, yeah. All right. Well, just to go off of what you just mentioned, I'm excited that she's uh, sort of like the LGBT character that they hinted at. When Katie and I did our spoiler show over the summer, like we assumed it was her as well. And to be quite honest, we sort of said, 
that uh, Alice and Ivy, Drusilla, would be a couple. So if that happens, I'm all for it. Or maybe what if her ex-girlfriend was Anastasia? That I could dig as well. I hope that Tiana is not LGBT just because I really want her to be with Naveen. That's just, you know, I really like the princess and the frog. So, I, I hope. Um, the only thing that I do find a little disappointing about the storyline is we've had three LGBT storylines on Once Upon a Time, and they've all been lesbian storylines. It would have been nice to have seen two men together, maybe two princes or whatnot. So, that's the only thing that was a bit disappointing. It seems like they always fall into the lesbian trap. Which, you know, they have done a, a, I don't want to say a great job, but they've done a decent job with it. I mean, you know, we had Ruby Slippers. To be quite honest, I feel like they only, they only made Ruby Slippers because of the ship name, because it just worked so well. And we had whatever you want to call the Mulan and Aurora thing. <laughs> Sleeping Warrior tends to be the common ship name for that. No, I know that, but I'm saying whatever it is because they never really explored it. So that's why I'm saying Sad. whatever that that's was. What you call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would have been really interesting. And mm-hmm. I would have been for that, but it, it just, it was whatever that was. I, I still really don't know what that was, but it was something. And, I um. Quite love. Yeah, but it was. It was disappointing. But um, on to the big scene. So let me do the setup. So two episodes ago, we learned that Wishhook has a daughter. His daughter was trapped by a witch in a tower. He would sneak into the tower. They would play chess. But the witch caught him and basically cursed him to never be able to find his daughter. So in this episode... Rogers meets Tilly for the very first time, and they play chess together. Coincidence? A hint? What do we think? I I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, and Jenna can correct me, when we discussed who Hook's potential daughter could be, there really were only two options. There was Rapunzel, which is kind of like the obvious one, And then there was Alice, which was the less obvious one, but there was a hint towards Alice because of the whole chess pieces and whatnot. And uh, because Alice is recurring versus Rapunzel being a guest star, we sort of leaned towards Alice being Wishhook's daughter. So... uh, That's correct. Yeah, so... Two of you were not here for that discussion, so I'm curious to hear, I'm very curious to hear, curious and curiouser, on what both of you think as far as who Wishhook's daughter could be. Was this hint a little too heavy-handed? Do you think that because it was a little heavy-handed that that might not be the case and someone else is his daughter? What do well? What does everyone think in general about that I'm scene? Do too. Yeah. So um, let's start off with Vinny, since you're the newest one. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of fifty-fifty. Part of me is leaning towards that is way too obvious, but then part of me is like, well, 
we have our motley crew of characters that have been introduced and i'd almost want it to be tilly now that i've had an episode to get to know her a little bit more uh because she has that kind of lost little girl theme to her and that whole personality. So I think it would fit really well. You've got Hook, who is this different version of him that's been lost and looking for something and wandering. And you've got Tilly, who is the outcast, the Alice going to Wonderland in different places. I'd be curious to see how the witch plays into it, if that is the case. Um, but, but like I said, it's 50-50. I, I, I would be fine either way. I, I do think it was a little bit too obvious, but I would not be disappointed if it was her. Heather, what about you? I'm 50-52. So it's either like the red herring of red all red herrings, which they have been known to do. Um, like season one with August. I don't know about you guys, but I, I thought he was Neil as soon as he showed up. Same. Or he was Bellfire. But, um, so they do that every now and then. But usually when they lead with that kind of heavy-handed, obvious reference, like I think... Um, Back in when we first met Wish Hook, was it not a rook that he gave to Real Hook? I believe it was at the and tower. Was, yep. Yeah, and that was the first piece that he touched when he went to play. I don't know. No, he as... touched the knight. Did he touch the knight? Yeah, because yeah, so. he gave okay. her the knight, and she gave him the rook. The rook. Okay, yeah, I, I forget. I feel like when we did that podcast, I said the opposite. I don't even remember now, but I believe. It is that she has his knight, and he had her rook. But and he touched okay. the knight first. Okay, I had those two backwards. If that's, I'm not mistaken. Um, but I don't know. Whenever they were first, whenever they first mentioned the fact that he had a daughter that was out there, and they brought up chess. Alice is the one that I I went to in my mind. Okay, that's just interesting. Because of that. So the whole tower situation and the witch situation didn't at all, like, steer you in the Rapunzel lane. I mean, I was like, maybe it's Rapunzel, but the chess seemed like the more subtle hint, mm -hmm. and now okay. that we've got this very heavy-handed one, it feels a bit more realistic. Watch me be wrong after saying that, but I feel like it's Alice, especially since she is the recurring character. I don't okay. know. Jenna, what about you? What did you think of the scene? So I'm also 50-50, but I really, really want it in my heart of hearts for it to be Alice now, because um, while she is recurring, I think it would be, I, I, I really like their connection. You can, like, before he even meets her, he wants to, Rogers wants to protect her, and yeah, they just have that innate connection in a way, where he's def he feels protective of her, and I just like that, and... Seeing Hook be supportive of his LGBTQ plus daughter is just giving me all the happy feels. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I mean, I yeah, I think it's I think they're kind of like going for a maybe red herring because like they they probably know that we know that Rapunzel is coming, but it's going to kind of be a bit of a back and forth, and maybe the end of that episode will reveal that indeed it was Alice. Like the Rapunzel episode is going to do a lot to sway us and make us think, oh, maybe Rapunzel is Wish Hook's daughter, and then it's gonna swerve and be like, nah. Because once upon a time does do that with red herrings, they did um for me, my personal big red herring moments came down to two. The first being um Ruby being the werewolf in um in Red Handed and the second um Hook is the second dark one in birth. But yeah, 
they do those, they've done those before, and they've been awesome, so I could see that happening again. Alright, I hope that it is Alice, just because I like them together. And I feel like the big red herring is Rapunzel, and although I guess now, because it was a very heavy-handed hint, you could call that a red herring, but I would call that proof and evidence and a parallel versus uh, red herringness. Although there is a weird theory online that I found where they think Wishhook's daughter is Anastasia. Ooh, that would be cool. I could see that. Ah. That'd be so cool. Because That'd if you be remember, cool. Tremaine and Ho- Wishhook seem to know each other. They banged, yes. <laughs> In my mind. That would be such an interesting twist. Maybe the tower was their house, like the house that she lived in or something, because th- as soon as you said that, I remembered that scene. Guys, mm-hmm. he jabbed her with her sword, with his sword, and she felt it. Uh, <laughs> he hooked her. <laughs> he hooked her. <laughs> Basically. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the theory that I read about Alice and Anastasia... It was an interesting one, which, if they wrote it like this, it would be brilliant, but I don't think they're going that route. Um, They mentioned that it would be so fascinating to see Tilly, like, trying to wake everybody up, and, like, her whole goal is to, like, you know, get all these people to take their quote-unquote masks off, but... You know, let's say her finding out that the reason why everyone has a mask on is to bring this woman that she loved back to life. Like, she would have that weird, um, you know, like, she would basically be at a fork in the road, like, to decide, like, should she wake everybody up or should everyone go back to sleep so that um, Anastasia could come back to life? Her love, per se. It's just a theory. I don't know if I'd buy that. I'd rather see her and uh, Ivy get together. But that's just because I don't want Ivy and Henry together. Yes. So. Alright. Let's get into it. The MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? So, the rules are simple. Say which character impressed you throughout the episode. And if someone has already mentioned a character, you must select a different one. So, no repeats. And I'm feeling very kind and in a giving mood. So, that means, Vinny, our newbie, you can go first. So, you have the pick of the litter. Ooh, Tilly. It's Tilly time. Get your Tilly on. Uh, Hands down. Tilly was the best in this entire episode for me. I was close to giving it to Belle, but honestly, Tilly so far this season has been kind of like teased. Like we've had little tidbits or Tilly bits, we can call it here and there. And then uh, it just, she blew me away. I honestly, before this episode, she kind of annoyed me. I'm not going to lie. Like the character, it was like, what's her purpose? Why is she here? She's like, dropping things here and there i want more but i don't know if i like her yet this 
episode, I fell in love with the character, the internal uh, internal turmoil, the portrayal of that, the trying to help Rumpel get back while trying to help herself get out, and just... I, I think, honestly, the scene in the car with Victoria is what clenched it for me because just the white rabbit mask, it was so iconic. It was so Alice, and she played it so well. And just the way that she just said, you know what? I'm going to throw caution to the wind, and I'm going to face up to the bitch. You know, it, it just really screamed to me this is a very strong character. I really wish she was more than recurring because I think there's a lot of potential there. But to me, she did so much growth, and she did so much for advancing the story in such a just an hour, you know, not even an hour because she wasn't in every minute. Um, but also just the, the emotions are what did it for me. Like you could see them, you could feel them and her ability to go from zero to almost crazy to sane back to Tilly in the fog. I, I think it was phenomenal. Jenna, your MVP and why? Okay. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, Honestly, I'm kind of, I'm kind of do, I'm kind of trying to do Heather a favor because I feel, because I feel like she's gonna want <laughs> Rumple or Belle, and I'm trying to be nice. Because you do you, you do you, Aww. no worries. Live your truth, okay. Jenna. Live your truth. Very well. Um, I'm gonna choose Rumple. Okay. Um, well, Rumple Dash Weaver. I think that I think that it was pretty cool to see what he's been up to for the past years. See his changes, his nuances his old relationships, his new relationships, um, how they've gone to, um, I think his story was very emotional. It was real. It touched upon those old characteristics, but not in, but, you know, but like, just as these are parts of him that are just always going to exist regardless of anything, they weren't just like doing the old, doing the same old thing for the purposes of doing the same old thing. Um, and I, th- but I think there were also the new developments that he had in season six were really expanded on in a way that I felt like the big problem with the e- with the tail end of season six was they didn't do enough to make Rumple's final redemption feel permanent enough. But I feel like with with this episode, in hindsight, now I actually do believe that because you see, because retroactively now I have that evidence to believe that 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 was that was a permanent change and. You see that in who he is in both the flashback, flash forward stuff, and also in and in Hyperion Heights, both through Weaver and who and through uh, Rumple when he wakes up during those final scenes. So yeah, uh, go Rumple! Woo! All right, I could go next. But I'm feeling kind still. So Heather, you may go. I have all the power oh. right now, which is exciting. <laughs> Thank you. I accept the kindness. Um, Jenna, you actually made it easy for me because I had a tie between Rumpel and Belle. So my MVP is Belle for so many reasons. She, I've had a love-hate relationship with Belle since she was introduced. I loved her a character in seasons one and seasons two. And, and three, and I really feel, somebody said it earlier about her kind of getting, not really pushed to the sideline that often, but she's just kind of that person that comes along as a plot device. And in this episode, she was utilized perfectly, even though she did end up, she was utilized by dying. That was sad. Um, but just 
the way that Emily DeRaven handled it as an actress, the the whole aging thing, the death scene itself, ah, it was just the fact that her and Rumpel have had this amazing, uh, tumulus um, relationship throughout these seasons, and it just finally culminated in this amazing maybe five to ten minute montage that made me ugly face cry so way to go bell you do you you get my mvp awesome i'll be honest i don't think so far there's been a wrong answer so i agree with all of you and i feel like you all will agree with my mvp choice as well maybe and i'm surprised that i'm picking this character because i i would not have thought, especially in the previous few episodes, that I would have. But I have to give it to Ivy. I really like what they did with the character this episode. You know, just sort of like thinking about what, like, Drusilla would be feeling in the um, film Cinderella is exactly and and eloquently spoken through Ivy this episode. It's exactly what I would have thought. It was beautifully broken down by Ivy this episode. I love her heart-to-heart with uh, Henry. She could have easily had been like written as a villain, as a henchwoman for Lady Tremaine, Victoria Belfry, but she was given a lot of nuance in this episode. And although I'm not here for them getting together romantically, sexually, one-night-standedly. But I'm here for more character development with Ivy. So she was the surprise and the revelation of this episode. I did not see Rain, so I'm not familiar with the actress. So I'm glad that they gave her some, um, you know, some scenery to chew, uh, I'm glad that they gave her storyline some meat, and uh, I am very curious to see where this storyline goes. So props to Ivy this episode. And now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 apples? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. And let's switch things up a bit so, Heather, you may go first. All right, well, this one is going to get my golden apple. It 100% has been one of my top five episodes. It made me excited about Once Upon a Time again. It... it Tugged at my heartstrings and it made me cry. So that doesn't happen very often. So you take your golden apple, way to go episode. I like it. So we have a golden apple. Let's see uh, if, you know, you start a domino effect, Heather. Vinny, what about you? How would you rate this episode? So if this was a game of Jenga, I would be the stick pulled out that causes the tower to fall, because I'm going to go with seven apples. Ooh, bum, 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 <laughs> bum, bum, bum. And, and we have and, the new Russian judge. 
Yes! <laughs> Which is really funny because we have a cat that's really fat. She's only two years old, but we've decided her internal voice is Russian, so that's even more funny because if I could do the accent, I would. We do it all the time, and I'm terrible at it. Spasiba. <laughs> yes, I give seven apples. You take. Uh, here's the reason why. <clears throat> This episode was phenomenal for the completion of Belle and Rumpel's storyline. I really felt that they did have a culmination. However, as I mentioned earlier, I really think that it should have been saved until later in the season. I think that it was something that, as beautiful as it was, I think it could have been maybe a little bit later after we had a little bit more time with the Weaver persona. Uh, so it was. I, I, if I could give that segment... In and of itself, a golden apple, I would. Um, but as part of the whole episode, I think that was one thing that I would have liked to see later. Um, also, just some of the scenes and plot devices that we talked about were either rushed or overly condensed. Um, I, I really appreciate the fact that Emily DeRaven came back because you don't always get that closure with a character. So that doesn't affect my score, um, her only being there for one episode. But I, I think also it... It definitely brought me back into the story more. It definitely made me really, really love the season a lot more than I did in the previous episodes. But I do think it was overly fast-paced in some areas with how quickly things came to fruition and things took place. And I, I don't know. I think that it could have been done a little bit more slowly because the season, we already touched on this, it started off as a slow burn building up. And then now this episode was kind of like a lot it was a lot to process a lot of character development a lot of things so it was almost kind of different than what we've experienced thus far so i think that a better better pacing would have probably gotten it to a 10 with me but yeah i'll, I'll go with my seven and and be the uh cause of the jenga tower falling all right so our chess pieces are all over the board. We have a golden apple we've got seven apples Jenna, where do you stand? Well, it turns out that I'm right in the middle, kind of. Um, I'm going to give the episode an 8.5 out of 10. So I think the episode was beautifully done. Um, the reason I'm taking points off is because, as I said before, it's hard because plot, plot holes usually really don't get to me, and I'm usually frustrated with people who it's like the make or break for things. But in this case, some of the stuff just not even being touched upon is really distracting and it's kind of hard to ignore. So it definitely makes things it, it makes things a little wonky and yeah, um and I kind of wish that the I, I'm also really going to miss Weaver's character. I wish we could have spent a little more time with him and I also kind of wish we had at least a touch more time with the whole Henry, Ivy, Jacinda, Lucy storyline, especially because it's a Halloween episode, and that was, like... And, and like, like, I would have liked to see a little bit more Halloween, because, like, we've been waiting for the Halloween episode for a lot... for a little... for a while. But I'm not... But I don't want to let that distract from the good points of this episode. The Rumble Bell stuff was beautiful and emotional and just really cool. Um, the Tilly... Weaver stuff was intense and it really opened the door for these characters and where they're going to go further from here. Um, we got to explore a bit more in depth Belfry and Belfry and Weaver dash Rumple and Rogers dash Weaver dash Rumple, which is like one of my all time favorite dynamics. And I just love that a lot. So 
there were a lot of good points there. There were like a little things that broke it up, but I, but genuinely, it did what the episode needed to do, and it did it in a really good, serviceable, solid way. So that's my point. Okay, so seven, eight and a half, and golden. And uh, I guess I have a different chess piece as well. Because I'm going to give it a 9. I thought it was a solid episode. There were a lot of elements that I really liked. I loved uh, the Henry and Ronnie scene. I really enjoyed the Henry and Ivy dynamic this episode. Weaver and Tilly. The whole uh, rumple waking up situation halloween even though it was not halloween in storybrook which that would have been the icing on the cake it was halloween in hyperion heights halloween on once upon a time so i approve of that as well you know because it is something that uh i had been sort of like craving for the longest i I was like always really curious about seeing the holidays on once upon a time and if i'm not mistaken i feel like the only holiday we've ever seen was Valentine's Day. I think so. Miner's Day. Sounds good. That doesn't count. Miner's Day. (laughs) And uh, what else did I like? Everything Tilly was really fascinating. The whole Belle and Rumpel epic love story and the flashback was really good too. The things that sort of like dinged it a little bit, I will co-sign it was a bit rushed. So that was the only thing. I, I mean, unfortunately, with the um, the model of the series, with you know flashbacks and present day stuff, and usually multiple storylines in the present, it does sort of force the flashbacks to be a little speedier. We have to like rush through stuff, and um, unfortunately, because we skipped. A lot of years and and the plot had to advance in the flashback it just it made uh, the flashbacks seem much more rushed than usual the whole MacGuffin of the Guardian sort of like knocked it down a peg as well if Bell had mentioned it like in her dying breath or if Gideon had referenced it like I believe it was Vinny that mentioned you know that if Gideon had studied about it and learned about it in some school or something that would have made a little bit more sense the whole uh, Rumple and um, Alice meeting in the magical forest that was a little wonky as well so that's what dinged it a little bit for me overall though i thought it was a really solid episode and um i thoroughly enjoyed it so uh, nine apples from me so uh, on that note Join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storybrookweeklymirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio.
Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. Co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Night, guys. Night, everyone. Night, night. Sleep tight. Don't let Lady Tremaine bite. <laughs> Unless you want her to. Oh, well, Jeffrey, are you sure like that you don't want... Want, want want some of that? Are you sure you don't want Ivy and Henry to hook up just once? Ah. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. But as punny as that was, no. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Good night. Ha